In the months after Kim Kardashian filed for divorce from Kanye West last February, the two initially seemed friendly, going as far as recreating their wedding on stage at a Donda listening party. But recently, there's been a shift. In addition to repeatedly stating that he wants Kim back, Kanye has claimed that he's been prevented from seeing his children and has encouraged his fans to harass Pete Davidson, who is currently dating Kim. In a rare statement earlier this month, Kim called out Kanye's, quote, constant attacks on me in interviews and on social media, writing that his obsession with trying to control and manipulate our situation so negatively and publicly is only causing further pain for all. And then there are Kanye's short-lived posts on Instagram, all caps missives, in which he claimed Billie Eilish insulted Travis Scott when she paused the show to give a distressed fan an inhaler and shared what appeared to be text from Kim explicitly asking him to keep their conversation private. After years of Kanye's eccentric behavior being treated like a joke in the media, many have raised concerns that some of his recent actions appear abusive or even dangerous. I'm not one to get caught up in drama. I don't typically like to get sucked down the rabbit hole of what's going on in celebrities' lives. Yet, at the same time, there's an inescapable sense that the recent coverage of Kanye either dismisses or ignores the context of his mental illness diagnosis, missing a big piece of the story. I'm your host, JD. Let's discuss that. If you know me, you know I'm a huge fan of people telling their story, betting themselves to open up and share their struggles, share their challenges with somebody who's willing to listen, and not only listen, but really be there as a support. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private, online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to help that may not be available in your area. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages and everything you share is completely confidential. You can request a new therapist at no additional charge anytime. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash DDBN. That's BetterHelp.com slash DDBN. Kanye, who is now legally known by his nickname, Ye, 
was diagnosed with bipolar disorder after being hospitalized for a psychiatric emergency in 2016. In the years since, he's spoken about experiencing manic episodes, often tweeting and performing through them. He has famously referred to bipolar disorder as his superpower and spoke candidly about the stigma around mental illness on David Letterman's show in 2019, saying, quote, I ramp up, I go high, he said of his episodes, describing feelings of paranoia and delusions, as well as being handcuffed, drugged, and hospitalized. Kanye and I don't have a lot in common. He's a black rap star, generally regarded as one of the most influential figures of the 21st century. I'm a podcaster, and I'm not famous. But we do share a connection in terms of trying to understand one's mind in the battle for mental health. If you haven't been manic, it's hard to grasp what an intoxicating and confusing state of mind it is. I certainly don't understand what it's like. Unlike being drunk or tipsy, a person can feel incredibly sharp. It's as if your mind has been blown open and you can start seeing possibilities and connections you likely never had before. One finds himself full of energy and ambitions. It's as if you believe you can write a graphic memoir, launch a website, renovate a house. People keep telling you that you need to eat and sleep, but someone who is bipolar doesn't understand their concern. From their perspective, it's as if suddenly you're the best version of yourself. Smarter, funnier, less shy, and infinitely more productive. Sure, you recognize that you might be acting differently, but in many ways you still felt like yourself, which can make everything even more confusing. And this is where people get confused with Kanye. Something you often hear is that he has an enormous ego, commonly referring to himself as the greatest artist of all time. In a recent Hollywood Unlocked interview, he said, yeah, I'm a rapper and obviously I'm a genius too. And at another point declared... I'm a future president. Many people, though, including some close to him, will say that's just Kanye being Kanye. And they might be right. There's a new Netflix documentary called Genius, a Kanye trilogy, which makes clear that from his early days as a producer, Kanye was unnervingly talented and ambitious. He was relentless in the face of an industry that often doubted him. It's also true, though I rarely see any mention of this in the conversation around Kanye, that according to the dsm 4 inflated self-esteem or grandiosity can be a symptom of mania. When I think of Kanye, I can't imagine how confusing and painful it must be to go through a manic episode with literally millions of people watching. As a person suffering from mania, it can be tricky to disentangle where the illness stops and you begin. Sometimes it's hard to know, are these symptoms me and which of these feelings are me, says Pilar Condenas, a therapist who specializes in treating patients with bipolar disorder. She notes that in milder cases, mania can look, quote, a little lack a little like a lack of inhibitions and problems with impulse control. In other words, bipolar disorder is not always easy to pick up on. In Genius, the filmmaker Clarence Cootie Simmons, Kanye's longtime friend who filmed him over the course of actually two decades, 
said that even he didn't fully understand what was happening until he heard that his friend was on an involuntary psychiatric hold. Quote, when I would see Kanye go off in the past, I just thought it was part of the show, he says in the film. I had no idea he was even struggling with his mental health. Unpredictable, unstable, untrustworthy, unreliable, unable to take care of themselves, unable to manage their moods. There are many misconceptions about how a person living with bipolar disorder thinks and acts. Although some folks may relate to this experience, these stereotypes are often both wrong and harmful. If more people knew how those with bipolar disorder think, it would help greatly with understanding and com- compassion for those with the illness. It could also greatly help those who care for someone with bipolar disorder. So, how does a person with bipolar disorder really think? First of all, though, what is bipolar disorder? Bipolar disorder, by definition, is a serious mental health condition which excludes includes an experience of mood episodes from emotional highs referred to as mania or hypomania that can last for days to a week to lows or depressed mood, which can last for weeks as well. According to the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance, 5.7 million American adults are currently diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And bipolar disorder has several different types, including bipolar 1, bipolar 2, cyclothymic disorder or cyclothymia, and substance-induced or medically-induced bipolar. Your thoughts may differ depending on the type of bipolar disorder you live with. The good news is, though, they can all be managed with proper treatment. Does someone with bipolar disorder remember what they say? Absolutely. Do people with bipolar disorder know what they're doing? Well, that's also a yes. Many people think that a person with bipolar disorder doesn't have any control over themselves, or that they are unable to take care of themselves or function in society. This is simply not true. People with bipolar disorder may face unique challenges as a result of their condition, but they're fully capable of leading happy, healthy, successful lives. When I think of Kanye, I can't imagine how confusing and painful it must be to go through a manic episode with millions of people watching. So when we come back, we're going to hear from someone who can provide us with a big piece of the story and who can share on a personal level just how challenging it can be to live with bipolar disorder. Stick around. My name is Kayla. I am a 27-year-old woman. I am a veterinary technician at an emergency and specialty animal hospital, and I spend my time reading and spending time with my dog when I'm not working on my own podcast or working on another wood-burning project. I have also been recently diagnosed with bipolar disorder that I never realized had a huge hold on my life until I looked back at the signs. When I first heard Kayla's story, I thought this is a perfect example of not only the uniqueness of someone's journey and story going through a mental illness, but a perfect example nonetheless of just how successful a life can be when you have a mental illness, especially one as extreme as bipolar disorder. There are 
so many signs and so many things that we look back on and realize this is where the trouble started. And Kayla does a beautiful job of letting us see exactly what that journey looks like and helps us see how relatable it can be for us. Ever since I was a teenager, I had battled with anxiety and depression. At the time, I considered it normal to feel as when I was around 12 or 13 years old. My father had been diagnosed with cancer, so I chalked up my feelings as being normal reactions to struggling with my father's diagnosis. I had never gone to a counselor or anything like that to help me cope with it. And as I got older, the feelings festered but were manageable for a while. When I started college, my anxiety and depression had gotten worse, more so my anxiety. I, again, assumed it was due to college and all of my classes. Those had to have been why I didn't really feel like talking to anybody, making friends, and had panic attacks multiple times a week. It was normal for a new college student, right? What was not normal, but I didn't think much of at the time, was my habit of getting an idea in my head and absolutely needing to do it right now, or the world would feel like it would end. I would go through three colleges during my early 20s. Originally, I had majored in forensic investigative sciences and criminology, completing one year at my first college, but deciding I no longer wanted to be there. I don't quite remember why. So I looked at an out-of-state college, West Virginia University. Sure, it would be tens of thousands of dollars more, but I'd had this dream of going to that college for a few days now, so it needed to happen or I would never reach my goal of becoming a crime scene investigator. This was my mentality at the time. Do it now or nothing matters. Don't think too much about it. Just run with it. Never listening to my parents on how I was going to pay it back or actually stick with it because this was my newfound dream and it was going to be great. This is something we all deal with. Some version of anxiety, some version of depression, some episode in our life where things didn't seem to go according to plan or at the moment looked like it was just a snap decision of life that just was something you needed to do at the time. And that doesn't mean that we have to overthink things, that we don't have to make it seem like it's bigger than it is. But this is a, a good way to, to see that sometimes you really do need to stop and listen to not only what you're telling yourself, but what your friends, your loved ones are telling you when situations like this pop up in your life. Halfway through my second year, I realized that my major no longer sounded fun or feasible. My panic attacks were becoming more frequent and my depression keeping me from sleeping again. So during one of my shifts at the mall, I simply googled careers with animals. And the first one to pop up was veterinary technician. I had never heard of that, but how convenient for there to be a vet tech institute within an hour of my parents' house. A whole new dream, a whole new goal. So, after my shift, I decided then and there to withdraw from West Virginia University and apply to this brand new school next week without actually looking into the field, the pay, the loans, the reality of what I was actually doing. While applying for new loans and waiting on the acceptance for the new school, WVU would not let me withdraw until a certain amount of the semester was completed. So I did the rational thing and simply stopped doing classwork and going instead of at least finishing the classes I had spent thousands of dollars on. Looking back, all of these choices were not the same ones and were considered to be manic thoughts and episodes. Flash forward to around 25 years old. My depression and anxiety have started getting out of control and no longer manageable. 
they were actually becoming quite debilitating. Work was becoming a chore. Going through day-to-day tasks was exhausting. I had put off getting any sort of help for my mental illness because in my head, I did not think that it was that bad. I would go through a few weeks to months of depression, but feel great after that for a while. Some days I felt as if I could do anything. That is, until I went into a depression again and refused to talk to friends or leave my house. My anxiety made it hard to make friends, as I always came off as standoffish. Around 25, I had started having thoughts of ending my life. Long drives home after work were becoming more like trying to fight myself into not slamming my car into a guardrail to take a break from feeling so numb or depressed. I would drink several bottles of wine a week just to sleep because sleep had always been an issue on and off. I stopped caring about myself. That I stopped caring about myself, that day-to-day tasks were exhausting, or worse still, we put off what we knew was probably something that needed to be done, and that is, in this case, getting help. Because for a lot of us, we feel that because we need help, we're not worth helping, and nothing could be farther from the truth. I had gone to a doctor for a recheck, and she caught me on a bad day, and I spilled everything to her about my mental state. She hugged me, started me on Celexa, which is an SSRI antidepressant, and put in a referral for the behavioral department to call me for a counselor appointment. The Celexa had worked until it didn't. It had made me manic for about three months before dropping me into my deep depression. For those who don't know, those with bipolar usually cannot take SSRI-type medications as they can cause manic episodes. This was one surefire way to see if a patient has bipolar, and it was the top indicator for me. Then, I started counseling and seeing a psychiatrist. I had officially been diagnosed with bipolar disorder type 2 with an anxiety disorder. There are two types, type 1 and type 2. Type 2 patients experience more hypomania than true mania, and then they go into depression. Looking back, I had been going through this for years, always telling myself that I can't be sad if there's nothing to be sad about, especially since I occasionally feel just fine. Other symptoms are mood swings, irritability, intrusive thoughts, crying for no reason, and trouble sleeping. There are many others, and these are just a handful, and these are mainly the ones that I struggle with personally. Growing up, I was always told that I'm hard to live with, and I had always had problems keeping and maintaining friendships. Looking back, it makes sense being that I get agitated easily and have always had mood swings of going from content to suddenly crying or angry at nothing, often leading to kind of people from my life that didn't necessarily deserve it. The older I got, the more severe my anger would become. I started hitting walls and throwing objects out of anger, even if over nothing. Simple tasks such as grocery shopping became a dread. What if there were a lot of people? What if I can't find a parking spot? What if I just don't go? My life had stopped being about making plans and started to be filled with more what-ifs. And it's those what-ifs that start to build up in our mind. It's those what-ifs that can cause us to fall deeper and deeper into the darkness and sometimes make it impossible to dig our own way out or to even think that there is a way out. And that darkness, that's what we want to save ourselves from. And it is possible when we stop and pause and really consider 
what's the what's the cause? What is this happening for? And the why? And not only asking those questions, but listening to the answers, both from ourselves and from the loved ones around us. Today, I am seven months into working with a psychiatrist and still struggle every day as I try to find the medical combination that works for my brain. I have been through over five medications. Some made me manic, some made me suicidal, and others had no effect whatsoever. What a lot of people don't know is that every person is different when it comes to finding the right adjustment and combination of antipsychotics, mood stabilizers, and anything else they need you to try. What I learned from this is what I need others to take from my story. Take care of yourself no matter how small the problem may seem and don't hide what you're feeling. Hiding and suppressing strong emotions causes more harm for you than good for others. What can make it hard on people like myself is the lack of understanding of those around us. For us, we need support even whenever we don't want it or feel like we need or even deserve it. We need relatives, friends, and co-workers to understand that sometimes we physically cannot help how we feel, and we need more patience and someone to just be there for us to cry to without someone trying to fix us. We need those around us to try and teach themselves about these types of mental illnesses and to understand that not everyone thinks and acts the same in certain situations. Yes, I do still panic when I go into a public setting some days, and my depression does still rear its ugly head at times. There are days when all I want to do is be alone because everything is agitating. Despite all of this, because I took the steps to try and better myself, I don't have thoughts of ending my life anymore. I am able to try and actually enjoy my life without panicking all of the time about it. There are bad days, but now the good days outnumber them. I'm slowly starting to take advantage of life instead of letting my mind take advantage of me. Watching anyone experience mental illness is challenging and complicated, but Kanye's identity as a black man and as one of the most famous and polarizing people alive makes it more fraught. Black men are often seen as a threat in the world, even when they're not intending to cause harm. They're constantly being responded to and reacted to as if they were. A lot of the time, black people don't get that grace or understanding that they're dealing with a mental health challenge or that ability to correct certain actions. Kanye has long been outspoken about his experience as a black man in America, though he's observed that people often call him crazy when he's saying something they don't want to hear. In 2005, for instance, when he infamously declared George Bush doesn't care about black people, many dismissed his critique as a rant or an outburst, even if history looks back on it differently. Anytime somebody wants to say I'm wrong, he said, about something, hide the truth, lie, they say, yeah, he's crazy. It's just the ultimate cutoff to not have to listen. The documentary Genius ends with footage of Kanye from 2020, around the same time as the reported manic episode that coincided with his run for presidency. In one scene, Kanye is having drinks with the billionaire investor Michael Novogratz and columnist Dan Barry. He says, quote, Have you guys ever been locked up in handcuffs and put into a hospital because your brain was too big for your skull? Speaking with increasing agitation, he jumps up around between topics before telling them, quote, 
I took bipolar medication last night to have a normal conversation and turn alien to English. Then, in what has become one of the film's most discussed moments, the filmmaker puts down the camera. Explaining the choice, Cody told the Times, quote, I've never filmed him when he's like that. When I film him, there's a certain way that he is with me. He's himself. At that moment, he was not himself. I'm fond of the phrase, if you meet someone with bipolar, you've met one person with bipolar. They're all very different. No two people with bipolar disorder share the same thoughts or experiences, but there are some common thought patterns amongst most folks who have it. This includes cyclical thinking, manic and or, and or depressive episodes, suicidal ideation, and psychosis. Educating yourself can help to remove the stigma and support those living with the condition. This also means being mindful of the harmful myths and stereotypes that exist about people with bipolar disorder. I think the public sees the idea of an alternating state of mind as a sign of being unreliable. But in reality, people with bipolar can absolutely adapt to their condition and learn to live a healthy lifestyle with it. Kanye is a public figure in the media including this podcast, will need to continue to grapple with how we cover his public behavior. He has said himself that he is imperfect, but to me it also seems likely that some of those imperfections are magnified and exaggerated by an illness associated with impulsivity and impaired judgment. I keep thinking about Britney Spears and how her behavior while she was in the thick of mental health challenges was also labeled, quote, erratic and ridiculed only for it to later come out that her circumstances were far more complicated than we even knew. So I wonder if someday we'll look back at the way we've talked about Kanye with a similar shift in perspective. In Genius, when the camera cut away, I honestly felt relief. To me, it felt like the right choice, the human choice. If it were me, that's what I would have wanted. Thank you to Kayla for taking the time to share her story and provide us with a personal side of what it's like to live with bipolar disorder. If you've got a story you want to share, I'd love to hear it. You can do so by heading to the Story Project link in the show notes. Most importantly, thanks to you, the listener, for tuning in to this brand new show, Dark Days, Bright Nights, and helping me shed light on a mental illness topic as stigmatic and full of taboo like bipolar disorder. If there's something that resonated with you in today's episode, and I sure hope there is, don't hesitate to reach out to me on socials or by leaving the show a review. I'll leave a link for both in the show notes. Lastly, take a moment to sign up for my brand new newsletter over on the website at darkdaysbrightnights.org, where you'll get free mental health advice and support directly to your inbox. Take care of yourself out there, and be sure to check in with your friends and family, all of them. Namaste.